Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We give our verdict on Paul Ricard's return to Formula One and ask if Sebastian Vettel's penalty was the right one. Lewis Hamilton hit back in the Formula One World Championship title battle by winning the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard, while title rival Sebastian Vettel got caught up with Valtteri Bottas at the first corner, came back through to fifth place. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look at the French Grand Prix, both on and off track. Obviously, it's the, the return of the race, the return of Formula One to Paul Ricard. First is Scott Mitchell. Now, Scott, what do you make of Paul Ricard? I think it's your first visit here, isn't it? My first visit. It's not one I'm going to forget. That's that's for certain. I'm I'm still I'm still fifty fifty on the track itself, but the experience surrounding the Grand Prix as a whole is uh, I'm sad to say it's been been quite a negative one with all of the all of the traffic and the aggro and the big thing for me has been fans expressing serious concerns and aggravation being stuck in massive queues and then you see 
you see the organisers trying to package it up in this neat little bow by saying, oh, well, look how popular we are, and oh, wasn't it a success? Well, I'll tell you what, it wasn't a success for the hundreds and thousands of people that we saw stuck in cars for, for hours on end. Well, Scott, I think it's just soured the experience for you, given that we're in an ant-infested shed for our accommodation, which we've just <laughs> retreated to now after battling our way through the traffic jams. You, you may be able to hear in the background on this podcast the sound of Scott Mitchell's chilli cooking, which he's cooking for us for, for our post-Grand Prix dinner at, at half eleven at night. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this proud of this chilli. Got up very early on Grand Prix morning to make it. Um, and actually, you, you, you describe our luxurious Airbnb as ant infested but i think you'll find that we combated the ant infestation on the first night with your rather ingenious sellotape solution actually i think you'll find it was a different brand of sticky back plastic but uh, it certainly does seem to have worked very very well what i wasn't able to do is prevent the the shower we've got turning into a kind of swamp it's rather like uh, uh you say swamp i say we've got an indoor swimming pool yeah it's 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 rather challenging it's one of those things where you're, you're wetter once you're out of the shower than you were when you're in it which it's a wet trouble. room uh it's just that the fact that the rest of the entire rest of the ground floor becomes a wet room as well yeah it encroaches into the hall as well the water is it's a water feature you could say this seems like a good as good a time as any to introduce your other guest on this podcast and he's just <laughs> chimed in there of his own accord ah uh, yes unauthorized interruption Good name for a band. Not a useful interjection. <laughs> now, fans of the, the Autosport podcast will will recognise Stuart Codling, and that will bring all sorts of feelings about him being on the podcast. I imagine he's a very divisive divisive guest with his uh, comedy stylings. Why don't you ask Twitter about that? Yes, Twitter. Tell us what you think of Stuart Codling. Actually, no, even better. Tell Stuart Codling what you think. Of, what's, your, what's your Twitter handle? Is it at Codders F1? At Codders F1. There you go. So uh, go on there and uh, give him give him a rating out of ten. I have to do driver ratings at Grand Prix. We, we want podcast ratings for Stuart Codling. I do know you, you mentioned this as an ant-infested shed. Looking around us, I, the, the total experience of this, is, I'd say, is not the most. Um, it, it's not been the greatest of our. Airbnb adventures this year to my mind the most irksome thing is the imbalance of cutlery it's got basically a a sort of a, a surface has of, it got 10,000 spoons when all you need no, is a knife it, it is, it's got a surfeit of, of forks over knives that would throw Alanis Morissette into a colossal oh, tizzy was it, was it forks and knives rather than spoons and knives did I get the lyric wrong oh, it, in, in, in her in her ditty whereby she adumbrates a load of things that aren't actually uh, ironic but are actually just either unfortunate or poor planning or suboptimal cutlery procurement I think it's it's spoons and knives whereas it, in our situation we have plenty of spoons plenty of forks but then you know midway through breakfast i have to wash my knife up to hand it to you that's not ideal is it we certainly don't have very many towels either but that's a a challenge which on the first day when i threw my one towel into the swamp that was the uh the floor of the uh the the bathroom that wasn't wasn't ideal well i think people have probably heard enough about our uh, domestic arrangements for the for the for the past week so let's look at the race codders two weeks ago in canada sebastian vettel won comfortably Lewis Hamilton wasn't really at the races this time. Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, dominant. Would have been a 1-2 without uh, Bottas being barged off at the first corner. But what what do you ascribe this this turnaround in fortunes for Mercedes to? I mean, you, you could put it down to different circuit characteristics. Maybe some of it does come from the, the new spec engine that Mercedes have introduced at last, having held it back for fear of um, it going bang-bang. Let's pick up the fact that Lewis said he he let the gap grow to, just off the top of my head, four and a half seconds. And he said that was kind of plenty. So that indicated that um, they were pretty confident with, that their 
pace was strong, that Max wasn't going to be able to go any faster. And I think they'd probably heard about Red Bull's you know, small problems with setup and that they were, they probably observed that they were pratting around with different downforce levels on Friday. So they, they kind of realised that I don't think Red Bull were really a credible threat to them for the win this weekend. Yeah, Red Bull weren't won really the race. But I think Mercedes, Toto Wolf, the, the boss of the Mercedes team, said it was just all about marginal gains. And I think all of these small factors, circuit characteristics, conditions, tyres, all the, all these different factors meld together to make this performance. I mean, that's what makes this championship really good because we're still seeing from race to race to race a performance swing because it's basically gone on well, Mercedes this weekend. We had Ferrari in Canada, Red Bull in Monaco, Spain. It was it was Mercedes again. So it's been great. It's been this this back and forth between between the top three. But it, what it means is that it is the individual factors the specifics of a particular Grand Prix weekend that are, that are deciding who's got the advantage so we could go to Austria next week could be uh, could be Mercedes and Hamilton up in front again or it could uh, swing back around to one of the others the big thing for me when we've got these the, these big swings in performance because that competitive order is so close at, at the top is 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 twofold for me first is the, the people who have the advantage absolutely have to, to make the most of it so Lewis edged Bottas in qualifying this weekend Ultimately, that meant that he was the one who led into into turn one and not the person being turfed around by Vettel uh, into the runoff, into a, a race where you're basically just trying to come back and score as many points as possible. And second, tying in with that, is when you have a bad weekend, you're no longer shipping seven points to your title rival, which is largely what we saw during the the Mercedes era and, and even last season to a point when it was Lewis and, 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 and Vettel fighting out for the title. Now, bad weekend, we've seen from, from Kimi Raikkonen, he's gone from being a regular uh, sharp end of Q3 contender in the opening three or four Grand Prix and all of a sudden he can't string a Q3 performance together and he's been, what, fifth or sixth comfortably for the last few races. You you fall behind two or three cars now, um, bare minimum, if you have a bad weekend. Looking like a confused old man, to paraphrase uh, Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of uh, aggravation about it, but it's a possible case of in- impeding, which obviously Raikkonen wasn't punished for, though the stewards did accept that it did cost Magnussen some time. Just he thwarted him. Thwarted, that was the word they used in the statement. It's just one of those things well there's, there's not actually that much we can say about Hamilton himself you know cracking performance controlled the race uh, he said at one stage he turned the engine down then Verstappen got a little bit quick and he turned it up again and then went back down so it was, he was just able to to control that gap but the the race defining moment was was the start Valtteri Bottas got Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari into the rear of him what did you make of that Cotters? yeah it was one of those kind of turn one incidents where one thing leads to another and it really really did cascade into a whole load of other incidents you you could say that it, it already already started kicking off behind them but it, it took an awful lot of unpicking and really I couldn't wait until the replay started when we were watching it on playback because it was so difficult to work out who had run into whom and where but just just to pick up on um, the Bottas and Vettel thing to begin with, for, for a while, for, for a sort of a nanosecond, I actually did think Vettel was going to run into the back of Hamilton because when you saw the onboard from from Vettel, he looked like he had to check his um, deceleration quite sharply and then he was kind of thinking about his other options. I wondered if he was at that point thinking about what he had to do to manage the presence of the two Red Bulls behind him. So he pulled in behind 
uh, Bottas and then just kind of got sucked into the corner because the the it doesn't really show up on TV there, but the camber is quite queasy. And I think that pro- that's probably, if we're going to be generous, what caught him out. But yeah, bang to rights. And then the next thing you probably want to discuss, and Scott has probably got an opinion on this, got an opinion on everything. But it, is it fair for someone to wreck someone else's race and then be penalised, but somehow end up ahead of them? And I suppose you can say it's not fair, but how do you introduce a penalty system rubric by which you can guarantee that someone who ruins someone else's race gets penalised more than them? Well, I think here the, the the problem is that obviously there was the safety car, which Vettel helped cause because I would think it was, I'm not entirely sure because I didn't speak to Charlie after the race, but I would imagine it was as much because of debris down at turn one as it was down at what, turn three and four where Ocon and Gasly collided. Yeah, and obviously the stricken cars as well, because yeah. obviously they had to move Ocon and Gasly out of the way. But but Vettel played a part. There was debris to to get rid of, and there, so there was a safety car, and that obviously that didn't negate the five second time penalty he got, but it did negate the natural penalty you get when you clobber into someone and break your front wing, toil back to the pits, and then and then have to take a, a new front wing, and then do the entire race or go on a completely weird strategy just to try and salvage something. You are supposed to be punished for errors like that and the I'm a bit torn because you don't want to you don't want to discourage attempts to overtake that that's obvious but I just I don't think this falls into that category because he wasn't trying to pass uh he wasn't trying to dive up the inside of Lewis and I and he clearly wasn't trying to pass Bottas as well he backed out massively he was side by side with Bottas into turn one and backed right out it was just then when he hit the brakes and tried to turn in, he either didn't slow down as much as he wanted or he thought he would have more room and have the grip on the inside to not obviously clobber into the side of the Mercedes. So I think he he should have paid the price naturally while losing his front wing, dropping to the back of the field and not having any assistance. But he got lucky with the safety car. And I'm I'm a bit torn because the, the, the punishment, I think I'm pretty sure the punishment came out before after the safety car ended. It was either after the safety car ended or towards the end of when the safety car was out. But that had already happened. Do you, do you know what I mean? He'd already been brought to the back of the field. He'd already had all of that negated. So read the race. Have a little bit of common sense and go, actually, he's made it back to the pits before the person he hit. And he's going to be far enough in front for this five second not to put him back behind the person he hit, even at the moment it was applied. So just don't really feel like justice was done. It's difficult because... Technically speaking, the consequences of an action that you can be penalised for shouldn't necessarily define how you're penalised. I mean, I would actually say there's two. I actually think the five-second penalty was wrong, but I'm not going to argue which way it was because I think it either needed to be honest mistake, which it was an honest mistake. It wasn't a stupid move or anything. Honest mistake on a relatively unfamiliar track, and you just let it go and say, well, that happens. Yeah, Vettel's fault. Bad luck, Bottas, but that's racing. But if you do say, well, Vettel's culpable and needs to be punished, I think it does need to be a more significant penalty. I think the five-second penalty is a little bit of a weird halfway house. Yeah, and what you don't really want to get into is a position where um, the stewards are called upon to kind of make things up as they go along. If if you have a, a set sort of tariff of penalties you can apply to something, 
then it needs to be like that. Whereas if, if you're going to go down the route of saying, well, you know, that person's made a mistake, he's ruined someone else's race, but he hasn't been punished enough, who then makes that call? It becomes subjective when you have different a different cast of stewards at every round. It then becomes difficult to apply those penalties consistently. And also, no, no two instances are the same. You can, no, well, no. Everyone wants consistency, but there's always different conditions and variations and circumstances that that are factored in. But obviously that, that set up the race with uh, Vettel and to a lesser extent the hobbled Bottas trying to come back through the field. And then we had the battle at the front. Let's, let's just cover that off because Lewis versus Verstappen was fairly straightforward. Verstappen you know, drove a good race. He was quicker than Ricardo in, in qualifying, although Ricardo was running the high downforce configuration uh, setup-wise and Verstappen the, the lower downforce. But Verstappen did seem to be the quicker driver, drove a very good race. And then behind them, we had the the kind of collision was happening between the battle for third place, Kimi Reich and Daniel Ricciardo, and then Sebastian Vettel working his way his way into that. I mean, it looked at one stage like Vettel would come out pretty well from this, didn't it? Codders in that he was he got his stop out of the way. We expected him to go to the end on that set of softs, which yeah. he didn't in the end. I did. I, I nudged. Scott at one point I think we were kind of maybe around lap 15 or 20 I nudged Scott and said uh, you know Vettel could finish on the podium here provided the uh, widely anticipated thunderstorm didn't arrive Uh, I mean it didn't quite come to pass uh, but it it was quite close actually when it comes down to it I I said during the race sort of in, in the heat of the moment that it was really really disappointing to see someone who broke their front wing on the first lap and had to pit back inside the top five before mid-distance. Yeah, it shows how ridiculous the gap is between the the top three and the rest of the people. Absolutely, and I do accept that the safety car obviously helped that. Vettel has since said that he also thinks he was given a bit of wind assistance when he was carving his way back through the field. So, yeah, there are some other factors involved, but I think Cyril Abitable said it I mean, he sort of repeated his point that he said after Canada, where he said that there are two worlds of F1. You know, his lot are comfortably best of the rest on a consistent basis, and they're still getting laps, which is just ridiculous. Uh, and here, his, I mean, until the end of the race when Sainz suffered a loss of power, didn't put a foot wrong, ran third at the end of the first lap, doing a super after a superb first lap, lap when everyone else was losing their heads. Um, and just, like, it's just... It's so easy, isn't it, for those big guys, the big free teams to pick them off. And I, d- I really don't care that this is how F1's always been. I just don't care that there have always been periods of dominance and back markers and stuff like that. Just because it has always been that way doesn't mean it always needs to be so. And I'm I'm pleased and I really hope that F1 and its attempts to, to fix that and try and remove that de facto two-tier system actually works. In the end, the other tyres weren't quite uh, quite able to last, which uh, which made for for an interesting uh, interesting battle because there was that there was that concern about would the rain come. So you had this this uh, this period where nobody really wants to kickstart the pit stop sequence up front, uh, and Lewis Hamilton was able to extend his first into bit just as a bit of insurance, just in case because Verstappen pitted. Uh, I think it's about lap twenty five odd. He uh, he made his stop and Vettel stayed out till uh, thirty three odd from uh, from memory. Uh, but that that rain never came. Of course, it came after the race while the paddock was being uh, dismantled to uh, to soak everyone, including Scott Mitchell oh, in, Scott, in, in yeah. his in his white shirt. I was very very relieved to find a gap 
in the torrential rain to run down to to Toro Rosso and Red Bull's hospitality to to speak to to Honda's F1 technical director Toyoharu Tanabe. And then when I was talking to him, the rain intensified massively, and I'm looking looking out and thinking just pick the worst possible day to wear a white shirt. I genuinely thought I was going to be returning and be some kind of weird, properly undeserved, um, I don't even know what the word is, I was going to say treat, absolutely wouldn't be a treat for you, be an undeserved uh, punishment at the end of the at the end of a gruelling week. Of for me for any TV in. cameras still broadcasting. Yeah, and for you guys, with me walking back in just like soaked through. But fortunately, no nipples were on display and it, it remained perfectly PC until the end of the evening. Speaking of, uh, you know, making a dash for it in the wet, I was also uh, hanging around because we, 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 we met during that brief um, dry period uh, between downpours when Scott was making his way towards the Red Bull enclosure for his window and I was um, making my way away from it having spent about 90 minutes waiting for Pierre Gasly to come back and uh, have his uh, post-race uh, debrief session during which there were plenty of comings and goings including Sky's Natalie Pinkham who decided she was going to make a run for it in at the very height of the downpour and my only reaction was to say in those shoes... Well, to come back to Vettel's recovery drive, you did mention wind assistance, Scott. It's probably worth digging into that a little bit more because the DRS was was very powerful, but that was partly down to the to the weather conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Codders is particularly excited to to get into this, but I know that um, Vettel, like, as I said, Vettel was quite open after that. He sort of felt that it would be tougher going um, it, had he had he not had that. I think um, you've got this massive pace advantage, but. Ultimately, the further he gets in, obviously, the more he's looking after his tyres. And I think Lewis talked about it after the race. You still have this need to have a 1.5 second advantage over someone to basically pull a move on on merit. So so I think uh, I think Vettel felt this was particularly key for him. I think Codders is probably well-placed to tell us why. Well, the, the, weather, the local weather systems are governed by the... Um the interrelationship between high pressure regions in the Gulf of Genoa uh, to the southeast and the Bay of Biscay, which is sort of west-northwest. And because we're sort of um, on a plateau, but also largely, geographically speaking, uh, at the end of a of a of almost a tunnel of valleys and, and, and mountainous regions, um, depending on which end has got the high pressure zone or the low pressure zone, the, the wind can whip round and you either get a, a, a massive tailwind down the Mistral Strait or you get a headwind just depending on where the, the high and low pressures are at either side of the country. And we've actually seen for the beginning part of this weekend largely a tailwind down the, the Mistral. And at that point, the drivers were saying, oh, it's going to be a boring race. There's not going to be any overtaking. But cue race day and all of a sudden you've got a headwind down there and the, the, the much maligned chicane everyone's been wanting to delete suddenly becomes this hot bed of overtaking well the simple reason being that with the headwind just to make it clear when you get the drag reduction of the drs because there's more air there basically for, yeah so the way there's more flow from the wind you, you get a bigger a bigger gain but we do have to add to that the fact that the the first corner well the first lap shenanigans put a lot of cars out of order so i think we probably wouldn't have seen the same thing had there not been this uh, this confusion at the start that left some very quick cars at the back and shuffled the midfield around a little bit. So we, we have to we have to bear that uh, in mind a bit. I don't think we um, have emphasised enough that today's race benefited to a large extent from 
uh, fast cars being out of position. But saying that, there there were a lot of really good dices, albeit for the minor places further down the field. One of the things this Grand Prix made me think of is a is an argument I always sort of have in my own mind every time there's a race that involves a front runner getting turfed round at the first corner, and that's oh, look what happens when suddenly you have faster cars out of position. You have a good race. Maybe we should have reverse grids or at the very least not start every single race in the order that the cars qualify in because that is just never, ever going to result in an automatically good race. I'm going to have a little root round in this kitchen for a soapbox for Scott Mitchell to stand on. <laughs> He's always got a virtual, uh, a virtual soapbox. But the, the battle at the front does illustrate it because of the... The four drivers in the in the big three teams who didn't get delayed at the start. We saw Hamilton, Verstappen, first and second. Raikkonen finished third with Ricardo fourth. Now, Raikkonen did pass Ricardo, but Ricardo had first, I think, the left elbow bit of his wing had a small failure in it. At least, presumably, it was a, it was, I'm not completely sure of the cause of the failure, but it sounds like it may have been some kind of structural thing rather than a misadventure because the right side then also went, and so Ricardo was struggling. So the only reason that pass happened was because Ricardo was uh, was hobbled so we sort of saw the the natural order at the at the front being uh, effectively effectively preserved it wasn't people kind of uh, racing through should we say we should also mention with Bottas the extent of the damage he had because he had a lot of, lot of damage to the rear floor and so you know his car was not as quick as a Mercedes should have been which explains why he was while he was able to make a recovery he ended up uh, a fair distance behind yeah. uh, Well, behind Ma- Magnussen in those final laps was actually outpacing him every so often before the virtual safety car was um, deployed or called or however you um, choose to describe the virtual safety car condition being declared. Um, there, there were quite a few laps where Magnussen was just faster than Bottas. Yeah, yeah just because Bottas was, was struggling. He had to make that second stop. They had a vibration on the front. Where, you know, Obviously, he was eating the tyres a little bit more quickly because of the, the the problems he had and the poor balance and the fact that he just didn't have the, the downforce he uh, he should have had. Marginal gains and marginal losses, isn't it? Works yeah, ex- both ways. No, exactly. But I, th- I think Vettel should be fairly happy to have salvaged fifth place because that could easily have been race over straight away. And, okay, 10 points. He, he, probably, would have, he probably would have finished third behind the two Mercedes in a normal race. So it's only five points lost 15 points for third 10 points for fifth so it could have been a lot worse for him but it's still ultimately his error has has cost him some ground in the championship i was trying to work out whether or not Kimi raikkonen drove a good race and i still can't quite reconcile in my head whether he did he he was he was pretty decent but the only reason he the only reason he made up he made up the places was because Vettel hit Bottas at the start. That's two of the three places he made up, and then Ricardo was was hobbled. So that's fine. He got third. The pace was reasonable, but the fact is he still made the, the, the yeah, error again. Reasonable in, and Q three was appalling. So so you know fine. But, you know it's not a bad performance, but it's nothing. It's it's nothing kind of astonishing. Well, the, one of the problems I've got with him is that you saw it at the end. I. I Genuinely thought, and I think I said this to you, Codders, during during that yeah, final battle of Ricardo. He's just going to give up, isn't he? I just he? said, like, Ricardo, I think, needs to repel this for one lap. If he can repel Kimi for one lap, I just think Raikkonen just doesn't have it in him to do it. And we actually, I, I was quite close to being right because Raikkonen sort of tried into, I think, turn one, and it didn't work. And he tried again in into on, on the outside into turn three, 
Ricardo held him off, and you go, "Well, there you go." Like you've tried to actually overtake him, and you can't. Yeah, and, and then after that, it's past, like he drove past yeah. him into down the down the straight into turn eight into the chicane where everyone was just using DRS and. That's, of course, that wasn't a straight fight anyway because yeah, he was Ricard- hobbled, Ricardo yeah. no, had a problem. Exactly. So I kind of just felt like, why do you always labour to this? And there was a beautiful moment at the start where we had um, Charles Leclerc in the Sauber have a, a brilliant start, take advantage of the fact that there was this melee at turn one and Raikkonen had to take to the runoff. And Leclerc got his Sauber. Was he, was he fifth or sixth? Um, but he was whatever it was, he was ahead of Kimi. And obviously, we, we, we ran the story earlier in the weekend that Ferrari now looks ready to, to promote Leclerc into a, into a race seat. Um, and, and end Kimi's career. Uh, and there was, yeah, just quite an, an interesting moment where, where, where Charles was ahead on, on track. And you kind of just thought, well, hang on a second. Like that, that Sauber has absolutely no business being ahead of a Ferrari. Obviously, Kimi rectified the situation pretty quickly, got back up and finished on the podium, which, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for. But I just, I just don't know. Like when I say he deserves credit, I don't know if it's because he just got the result or because he actually did a really good job to get there, if you know what I mean, Ed. He did a decent job. It was fine. It wasn't. It just there, there was no sensation recovery. It was. It was a good. His lap times were decent. Yeah, d- good drive, but nothing. You know, it's not a ten out of ten, ten performance. But you can probably hear uh, Codders ferreting around in the background, dealing with some boiling over rice and some some bleeping cookies. I have, but, a, I have a massive fear that I didn't put quite enough water in the pan. A culinary blunder, Scott. But you mentioned the the situation with. Raikkonen seemingly being on his way out of Ferrari and Charles Leclerc potentially on his way and what, what exactly is the situation there because this was a story that broke uh, during the weekend originated by uh, Roberto Kinkaro one of our colleagues from motorsport.com Italy yep so basically um, uh, Leclerc has obviously been a been someone who Ferrari have been watching for a very long time he is a, he's a graduate of the Ferrari Driver Academy now that he is in Formula 1 he is racing for the Alfa Romeo linked Sauber team, and we obviously all know Alfa Romeo and, and Ferrari's links. Uh, he does simulator uh, stuff at Ferrari as well, still. So very much someone that the 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 Scuderia are, are looking at, and, and view as one of their guys for the future. But it always seemed like 2019 would would come too soon for him in, in a Ferrari context, because Ferrari, as we as we all know, is is famously conservative picks uh, experienced established drivers um Leclerc this weekend was making his eighth Grand Prix start I, I wouldn't even want to guess off the top of my head how many Kimi has, has contested I would like I'm gonna guess it's 278 including France but I can't quite remember and I look forward to the internet proving me wrong oh they will yeah absolutely and take great delight in doing but so. basically Kimi hasn't quite continued his strong start to the season and that has coincided with Leclerc putting in stunning performance after stunning performance in suboptimal machinery. And I think what has happened, and this is what Roberto has gleaned from his sources uh, in Italy, that basically Ferrari have got themselves into the position where they're actually willing to take the gamble. So it's not done. It's, it isn't a done deal. And, and people shouldn't read into it as, as that's it, Kimmy's out, Charles in the car but it indicates that they are actually ready to take that punt and that the feeling has now shifted from retaining Kimi or possibly signing Daniel Ricciardo, who they were interested in, and going for the cheaper sort of future-proof option, basically, of, of promoting Leclerc. It does. It's a reasonably 
recent change of direction, should we say. I must, must admit, you kind of start to detect the, the, the hand of Sergio Marcioni in this. He's made some negative comments about Raikkonen. And also, he, within the team, has tended to favour some of the cheaper, younger personnel to kind of be put into senior positions in, in the team so I think it fits very well in with his uh, with his his philosophy but and you cannot argue with with Leclerc's performance what's that four points finishes in five it is yeah and it's also he got into Q3 at the weekend qualified eighth in a, in a Sauber that Marcus Ericsson could only just about squeeze into Q2 and then finish at the back of that particular group it was um, a really really good weekend performance from Leclerc and he really had to fight to hold on to those positions yeah. but not unimprovable though because he did manage to uh, go off the road a couple of times while uh, there, there were a few moments yeah, yeah. And, and a less forgiving circuit those might have been punished a little bit more but other, apart from that yes I want to make one final point on Raikkonen. You mentioned um, Sergio Marchioni, the Ferrari president. Um, even if we assume that nothing has happened uh, from the start of the Australian Grand Prix weekend to now, for in terms of Marchioni having any kind of fallout with Raikkonen or being particularly annoyed by any particular performance, go back to the traditional Christmas address that occurs at Ferrari every year. And Marchioni made it really, really clear that we need to find the key to unlock Kimi Kimi's consistent performances because obviously when he's very very good when he's when he's on form sorry he's very very good the problem with Kimi is he has too many anonymous weekends Marciani made it really clear this is the last season that he's got to do that and the fact is having started the season very well he's now fallen into anonymity compared to Vettel and what's more as Vettel has got a, a stronger and stronger handle on the Ferrari and what he needs to get out of it Exactly. So Kimi has had this strong start. He hasn't maintained it. The other realistic option for the seat is grabbing the ball by the horns down at Sauber. And I just, I think the, I think the clock's running out on Kimi's career now. That was a, coming close to a horrendous mixed metaphor, but at least, you know, it's, it's not a headache you can't stomach, is it? Where did you think I was going with it? I don't know where you're going to take the bull by the horns. I don't know what you're going to do next. Well, the one thing they're not going to do, it seems, is take the Red Bull driver by the horns because Daniel Ricciardo does seem to be out of the picture. A little bit too pricey. So we're still kind of expecting Ricciardo to, to remain at Red Bull in the end, although the, the driver market's starting to pick up with... Obviously, we had talk of McLaren making big money offers for uh, for Ricciardo, etc. So it's... Uh, we're just waiting for the for the driver market to, to finally spark into life. But But Leclerc was in that that very interesting battle in the the front of the midfield Kevin Magnussen eventually got the the, the class B victory as we like to to call it There's Scott Mitchell bleeping on the uh, cooker again well you know I, I did have to deploy my full 7 years in the catering industry to stop some sort of uh, cookery carambolage back there so <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's the last thing we need but unfortunate race for Carlos Sainz well a mixture of unfortunate and fortunate because he ran third early on, he took advantage of the uh, the nonsense going on at turn one because he was on the sort of nicely out of the way on the left side, and he was able just to look up, look up to the right and see it all happening and and uh, and emerge in, it in a good position. But ended up with eighth place. I mean, you, you'd sense the disappointment in his voice over the radio when he'd said he had no power, and they ran through the various sort of um, fail strategies you go to the different settings you 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 put in on the steering wheel to try and. Um, get make the car work again uh, because these 
uh, hybrid power units are so complicated these days. Sometimes they can be persuaded to uh, start working again. And really, it was it was the virtual safety car that saved him. Otherwise, he might even have dropped out of the top ten. So he can count his lucky stars there. And that was for Lance Stroll's front left Pirelli letting go. Very uh, very agitated. He had some pretty big flat spots on it as well. Yeah, he authored his own demise from this race, did uh, Lance by flat spotting that tyre in several places a few laps earlier. And it was kind of no surprise that it was looking a bit 50p shaped. So it was no surprise that that went. So yeah, the virtual safety car was declared uh, because Lance had parked driver's left at senior. Must have been quite scary actually to depart the scene that way because that's still pretty fast corner. Uh, and so yeah, it's one Carlos. Of those things that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of space, a lot of runoff. But when you're travelling at that speed, you, you can chew up that space pretty quickly. As Marcus Ericsson found when he uh, when he shunted uh, it was the next corner round on uh, on Friday. Yeah, let's not forget that the whole point of those um, banded coloured asphalt runoffs were to bring cars safely to a halt in the event of failure or spinage um, when, when it was a test track. And when, when you actually wander around the, this circuit on foot, they, they aren't just pretty colours. It is actually like sandpaper. It, it is properly abrasive. Like that the, surface. The, the red ones, which are the most harsh ones, you can really Yeah, yeah, they're 60 really grit. I quite like that as a solution. I know we, we spoke at the very beginning when you introduced me on this podcast that I wasn't a massive fan of the circuit. I didn't know where I stood on the circuit. And part of that was the layout, which I grew to like as the weekend developed. But I really didn't like the detached feel of it because it's a test facility. There are so many different layouts and it, it could, looks quite cool. They could, the the colouring of, of those bits off off track are, are interesting, but you've got so many different layouts and the grandstands are so far back, so it's terrible for fans. And it just, it lacks, for me, it lacks any real sort of atmosphere. The I, I suppose the only real functional limitations this circuit has now are caused by maybe a lack of vision uh, when it was redeveloped as a test circuit because a, a lot of the elements of it are still very much as they were in 1968 or 1969 or whenever it was built and when they repurposed it as a test facility they assumed it would never host races again so the pit entry and the pit exit are just not up to modern standards the the, the pit entry there's actually two pit entries uh, there's, there's one that takes you on this bizarre flyover system that um, was used for some purpose or other. But the one that Formula One used took you a very sharp right in and then a very sharp right left, which if they were travelling at the normal pit lane speed limit would have put the Mercedes mechanics in danger. Now, there is a simple answer to that, which is next time we come here, move everyone a couple of pit boxes down. But then that doesn't solve the problem of the pit exit, which feeds, it spits you straight out onto the racing line um, uh, into the braking area at turn one and there's nothing that can be done there without a bit of serious landscaping. Did you feel that there were way too many aspects of this weekend that felt like they hadn't been fought through properly? Yes. Ed? Uh, Well, depends on your definition of thought through. I mean, one of the things you're referring to there is the traffic situation. They'd done a lot of thinking about that. They'd said they had all these great routes and it was going to work really well and it was abundantly clear that it didn't. Well, well they didn't implement them. But this is what and I mean. the other thing is, is the track The track has to be homologated. It has to be inspected. So all of these problems, you know, they dropped the speed limit during the weekend for the race from 80 to 60. Normally it's 60 in practice and then it, go, and then it goes up. But 
that's the same pit entry that's been there all the time and it's since 1968 well, or so, whatever. so you know I, I don't really understand why that wasn't the t- but the thing the thing was the track was fully inspected and known so it had been thought about but almost not acted upon correctly which i find which i find a little bit strange it felt like there were things that were underestimated or not truly considered to their fullest consequence maybe i really don't know the best way to put it but whether it was the traffic whether it was the pit entry whether it was this decision not to put the teams one or two garages further up because that's what was suggested by a couple of people as being actually quite an easy solution and why didn't they do that from the very beginning um you mentioned the pit lane exit just it just felt like something that wasn't a long time in the making because this isn't like i and ed you're going to enjoy this because this is scott mitchell on a podcast bingo i covered formula e for two and a half years i watched the formula e organizers pull something of a rabbit out of a hat on several occasions trying to pull off races that uh, that would basically close a bunch of roads at the last minute and then try and erect a, uh, the rest of the circuit in 24 hours i also watched them um i didn't watch them properly but i've also been in the championship when they've had really short notice at putting a, an entire event on altogether in say three or four months but this has been known about for ages and this is a f- properly established circuit and just everyone involved is really really professional and experienced and i just don't really know how this ended up being a, i don't want to say amateurish but just not i i really didn't feel like this was a proper top class grand prix weekend i think the the problem is as well at the traffic things we we were inconvenienced by it but we've also seen stories of fans with tickets just not coming because yes, of the queues yes. they've had that which is appalling or not being able to make it in time and people it always irritates me because people say well you should have left earlier then you know i tell you people were getting into traffic very very early in the day you know that there's traffic there's there are traffic jams like seven hours before the race which is not an unreasonable time for people coming to that so you know that they just need to they need to think about it and rather than talking about where well, we're going to up have more people next year the first thing they need to do is is work out a sound traffic plan the approach roads are always going to be a bit iffy because yeah, of the location too many pinch points. you know it's not it's not going to have some massive motorway directly feeding into it but there are things you can do and i think they need to think about how they're managing the traffic and flow in a little bit more detail and actually how they're executing it as well because we saw a lot of stupid cases where actually problems were being caused by the way traffic was being directed that that made no sense they need fewer people waving fruitlessly and pompously and blowing whistles it's it's not not an ideal uh, set of circumstances and at least when we got into the circuit we had good facilities and everything and we weren't kind of parked in a grandstand you know some of the grandstands here there's not vast numbers of them some of them are pretty good some of them are very distant i went and watched at turn 11 at one stage and you know, standing by the barriers at Turn 11, you're a long way from the track. But then you've got a few metres and then there's another fence. And then behind that, you've got the you've got the grandstands. And you kind of think that's not that's not a, a, a stunning view. So I think um, everybody is pleased there's a French Grand Prix. There should be a French Grand Prix. Motorsport basically was born in France. The first, what's recognised as the first national Grand Prix in 1906, held at Le Mans. And it's, it's part of the heartland of racing. We've got several French drivers, we've got a French team in, in Renault, so we want there to be a French Grand Prix, and everyone was pretty upbeat coming to this race, and Paul Ricard's got a decent history of, uh, of, of running races, we remember Mauricio Guzman flying through the air, and uh, in instances like that, but that that's not enough, particularly at a time when some races are held to very, very high standards in what they did, you know, Silverstone had to basically be, make sure a new road was built in order, or 
a widened road was made to actually ameliorate some of the terrible problems Silverstone had with this. So, yeah, Poor Regard needs to up its game if it's to have what it wants, which is a long-term race beyond the five-year contract that's that's able to to function commercially. Because a lot of the people who've bought tickets this year, forget about getting new ones in, a lot of the people who've bought tickets this year aren't going to come back next year. Maybe we should be thanking Sebastian Vessel for that move at the first at the first corner because uh, otherwise we could have had a, a, a Grand Prix weekend that was utterly torrid off track for several people, followed up by a rather boring Grand Prix at the front. When actually, in in in, it looked like Lewis was was, was going to be pretty untouchable in this race. So, at least we had some sort of subplots throughout the rest of the order to keep us occupied for an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty going on on track, plenty of talking points. But uh, I think next year, yeah, give him a chance. Not expecting miracles, but let's uh, let's make sure some progress is uh, progress is made. Well, we're gonna gonna move on to. Uh, to working through our, our chili and discussing uh, a little bit more detail among ourselves the, the events of the day. Some of us still have some more, some more writing to be done. So uh, thanks very much for listening. Thanks to Scott Mitchell and Stuart Codling for, uh, for their input. I'd urge everyone to check out autosport.com for all uh, the news from following the race and in the build-up to the, the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. Check our Plus subscriber area for in-depth features, including our driver ratings, which you can uh, vote, vote yourself as well, so we can see how, uh, how wrong the, uh, the combined hive mind of the Autosport readership uh, thinks I am this particular week. Normally it's quite wrong. Sometimes, it gets, uh, it, sometimes I'm even more out of, uh, out, out of whack with them. Uh, also check out Autosport magazine out on Thursday, all sorts of coverage of the, the French Grand Grand Prix, sister titles, F1 Racing and Motorsport.com. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.